It's wonderful to have you all here with us tonight. You know, light travels faster than sound, and I think that's why some people may appear bright until you hear them speak. <laughs> so, something I've been thinking about. Well, I want to turn the time over to someone who still looks bright even after he speaks. It's time for Dr. John and the Technology Spotlight. Tonight, we're going to talk about chips. See what I got right here? Little chip? Pop it in. Actually, this isn't that kind of chip. This is a little teeny computer chip. And if you look carefully, you can see how it's got little teeny legs and it connects to little wires on a circuit board to make a computer work. Can you see those little teeny legs there? They're pretty small. Well, this is a logic chip that has logic gates inside of it. And we're gonna talk about logic, but we're not gonna talk about computer logic only, but how we can have logic gates in living cells. But first, I wanna talk a little bit about what logic really is. Uh, if you look at this, this is the symbol for an AND gate. And you see how it has two inputs, A and B, and then it outputs uh, the result. And the result is either gonna be true or false. And in order for it to be true, both of the inputs have to be true. And that sounds a little bit complicated, but it's actually what we use all the time. Uh, here's an example. If you want to drive the car, you have to be old enough, and, did you hear that? And you have to have a driver's license, and you have to have the keys, right? You get in the hang of this, and you have to take out the trash, right? <laughs> and then there's another gate, or, or convince my brother to, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, so we use logic a lot when we're talking. And you can see how whether or not you can use the car hasn't been decided yet. In order for it to be true, all of those conditions have to be met. You have to be old enough, and you have the license, the garbage, everything. And uh, so uh, that's why logic is so useful. And when we put it in computers, we don't have to know exactly what the output's gonna be. Uh, we just have to have the logic set up right, so when we put in the inputs, it'll output the right thing. Okay, so you're starting to get the hang of this. Now, um, I wanna, show you an example in the circuit simulator that we use in coding three. This is, or not coding three, in STEM three. And uh, this is really neat because it simulates uh, how the electricity works in circuits and things. And I think it'll kind of help you see how these logic gates work. So if you look here, I've got some of these chips. This is like the chip that I was holding up. You can see how it has those little legs but it has drawn on here the logic gates and how they hook up to the pins. You can see how there's inputs and then there's outputs. And over here, these are the inputs that we need to hook up, and then over here, this is the output we're trying to make. See how it's A and C and D? Okay, so we gotta hook the wires up. Now, we don't care whether A is true or false or B is true or false, and in fact, it doesn't show. What we need to do is hook up the logic so no matter what they are, we get the right output, all right? So let's get started. I see an A, so we have A and C. So we'll connect an A as one input and a C as the other input. And then, uh-oh, we only had two inputs. So we're gonna have to do something tricky. We're gonna have to combine the gates. So we'll have the output from this one go to the next one, and D. 
So here we go, hook this up here. So we have A and C and D, and then we hook it up over here and see, oh, and we gotta hook up the power. <laughs> oh, everything's gotta be right, doesn't it? And then there we go, it's working. So now this logic chip is making an output that's A and C and D. And this is a really neat thing. This is how computers do so much in the real world. In a computer chip like a CPU, it has millions and millions of these little gates and uh, little flip-flops to store the memory. Uh, so I want to jump back over here. Uh, but I want to talk about how we can have logic gates in living cells. And this is some work from the University of Michigan uh, School of Medicine. And they have developed a synthetic protein that they can put into genetically modified cells that will work just like a logic gate. Now, the logic gates we were just looking at use electricity. And uh, whether it's true or false is whether the electricity has a high voltage or a low voltage. Instead of that, they're using the presence of certain molecules as their inputs. And then their outputs are uh, changing gene expression. Remember how uh, on DNA there's a whole bunch of different genes and they're not all active at the same time. Only certain ones turn on and off. And so they can actually have logic like this that they can put into living cells and make things happen. And it's really amazing when you think about it. But on the other hand, our living cells are doing stuff like this all of the time. When there's a certain type of uh, enzyme or molecule that the cell's exposed to, then certain genes get activated and a certain thing happens. So it's really not that different than what's normally happening. Uh, but let's think of an example where this might be really useful. Uh, there's a new cancer treatment called uh, CAR T cell therapy, I believe is how they say it. And uh, this is where they take immune cells out of the patient and they genetically modify them so they will attack the tumor and then they put them back in and they've had amazing results with this therapy. However, with solid tumors, which is certain cases with the cancer, it doesn't work as well. And it's like the T cells kind of wear out and it doesn't quite uh, finish. And with this type of logic, they can put in special circuitry, if I can use that term, so when it encounters that problem, then it gives the T cells, the CAR T cells, a boost and does a better job at that function. There are a lot of little things like that where if we could just have a little bit of control, kind of like we can have on computers, then we can do a lot more. And as uh, we learn more about this, we'll be able to do more and more. I want to show you this diagram that kind of shows how this works. You see how we have the AND gates across the top. Those are like our electronic gates that we were just looking at. And uh, different inputs make different things happen. Then down at the bottom, it shows how they did the same thing with their protein AND gate. And see, the first one has nothing connected. Then they have something connected on one side, nothing happens. Something connected on the other side, nothing happens. And then when they're both connected, then it makes that uh, gene expression happen, makes something happen. And so you have to have both conditions. So for example, two different molecules have to be present for this AND condition to work. And they've made other gates too, like OR gates and NOR gates and things that uh, we could use to do quite a bit of complex logic. In fact, they can even chain them together to have uh, more complex things happen. 
Uh, I want to show you one more example of logic gates just to kind of show you how these can be put together inside of a computer. If you look at this, this is a half adder, which means it's the first half of an adder inside of a computer. And again, we have the two inputs, and then on the output side, we have the sum and the carry. This is for adding numbers together. So the two numbers in this case would be either a one or a zero each, and then this logic adds them up. And we don't know what the numbers are ahead of time, but it always outputs the right thing. You'll notice how if we add one and one, then we have to carry, right, to get one zero. And uh, so in order for that to work, we have to have a carry output. You can see that there. But you can hook this up with um, the other half of the adder, and you can have huge numbers where uh, you don't know the result at, until you look at the output, but the logic will always calculate the right output. And that's built into all the computers. It's pretty amazing stuff, and it's a lot of fun to work with. So, uh, you know, you better not eat it. Don't eat the logic, be the logic, right? <laughs> well, that's all the tech we have the time for. Thank you. You see what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now it's time for breakthroughs in science with Tobias. All right. Well, some of you might know of a poem that goes something along the lines of Whether the weather be cold or whether the weather be hot. We'll weather the weather, whatever the weather, whether we like it or not. <laughs> now, while some of you may think that poem was created to share with us some of the challenges of the English language, um, it is a very good point that it carries about weather and the unpredictability of weather, and also the point of we're kind of stuck with it. Okay, w whatever the weather's going to do, it's going to do it, and you know you can't like order in two days of nice weather. Okay, actually I did hear Amazon provides that now, but the delivery fees are <laughs> um, But no, so what can we do? And you know, really what we can do is try to predict what's gonna happen. I mean, if you know what the weather's going to do, then you could change, you could plan, you could cancel um, a, your, your life's plans accordingly. And you know, that could save a, a picnic. It could also save a life. It's very crucial. The more we can get um, our predictions more accurate, the better we'll be able to adjust and prepare. So how do we do it? And really, in history, the two big ways of weather prediction was the first is look at the sky and look at the sky, duh, uh, look at the sky and try to figure out what is going to happen based on the clouds and the structure. So if you look at this picture, these are cirrus clouds. Now, some people describe these as Feathers that fall from the angel's wings wisping across the sky. However, it's, it's generally assumed that these mean that in the near future there's a front or storm coming in because these are actually very high clouds where it's very, very cold and there's actually ice particles mixed into these clouds. And far away coming, is it's generally assumed when you see these clouds, is some kind of front. So that's, that's how they would do it is they would see the clouds and try to determine or predict what was going to happen. Another way was to document it. So 
okay, what happened today? You document the high, the low, the rain, the precipitation, whatever, the wind speed. And then a year later, you could look back on that day, okay, what happened, and try to predict what's going to happen today based on what happened last year. And if you start stacking up years, you get more of these years in your documentation. And so that's kind of based on the assumption that what happened last year will be similar to what happened this year, which isn't always the case, as we have noticed uh, this spring. But that's pretty much what we had, is those two ways to try and predict the weather. Was there a better way? Could we be more accurate at predicting weather? And we're talking about a gentleman named Lewis Fry Richardson, and he believed that there was a way to more accurately predict weather, and it was through math. Now, when you're predicting weather, you have a lot of things to think about. And this, when, when this happened, what we're going to talk about, this is during World War I, and Richardson was one of the ambulance drivers. And so he would drive the ambulance out, save lives of people that were wounded, bring them back. And between shifts, he would go on to carry out one of the biggest experiments in meteorology. Okay? And what he did was he happened to have these papers that he brought of northern Europe, maps of northern Europe, where on a specific day at the same time, multiple meteorologists documented what the weather was. So he could look at this map and know what the weather was in all of Northern Europe at all of those locations. So that's data. And it's not only data, it's data he knows was pulled at the same time. So he predicts that he can figure out a way to use physics because you, know, you have a lot of variables. You have the temperature, you have the pressure, the humidity, the wind, so many things happening. But guess what? They all follow one law, and that's the law of physics. And so he's going to try and use that to figure out a way to predict what's going to happen. So here's his plan. He's going to try to make a six-hour forecast based on these. So basically, six hours from when these were taken, he's going to try and make a prediction. Now, obviously, that was long ago, but it's an experiment. So he starts coming up with equations and systems to be able to do this. And you would be shocked at the things that he has to think about um, when he's making these equations. So one of the ones that I... I mean, here's some examples of some of the things that he had to take into account that you don't really think about when you're thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. Is it going to rain? Um, he had a, a paper that basically was a computational equation process that was calculating wind affecting air pressure. He had another one on air pressure affecting air density and temperature, one on the curvature of the Earth, of gravity, of radiation from the sun, radiation from Earth's surface, and so on and so on. And remember, these all change each other. The pressure impacts the temperature the wind and the humidity, and they impact each other. And it's kind of this moving target. Well, he realized, OK, I can't just figure out what's going to happen here, because he's envisioning the atmosphere as fluid. And so what happens here is really going to be impacted by what happens here and here and here. So he draws these squares on the map, and he breaks it down into squares, and he identifies the squares he's going to do a forecast for. Now he's going to need to use data from a lot more squares to get that, okay? He starts breaking down the equations, he starts doing the math, and six weeks later, he finishes the equation. If you thought your math exam was hard, <laughs> he finishes the, the, the process, and they estimate he did about 60,000 equations. And they still have all the papers that he used to do this, and at least most of them. So, He's got this prediction. Now, obviously, that time has passed, so he can't really go back and see how accurate he was. But we've looked at it, and unfortunately, it was off. 
Okay, it was quite a bit off. For example, he predicted 145 millibar pressure, and that's about 100 times what the pressure probably was. It would have been like if a hurricane bigger than anything we've ever experienced on Earth all of a sudden hit northern Europe after a mild morning. <laughs> um, that's pretty much what. So what did he do wrong? Was it this method? He had done the first numerical forecast ever where he used math numbers to calculate, try to calculate a forecast. Was the method wrong? Was his math wrong? That seems pretty positive. I mean, 60,000 equations? Well, since then, researchers have put the same numbers using his method with computers, because he did all this by hand. They put it into computers, and guess what came out? For the pressure, 145 millibar. And other numbers matched as well. So his math was on, and his method was on. It actually ends up being that some of the data points that he used had errors. And so those little errors would get into the equation and change the end quite a bit in some cases. But that's not the big issue. The big issue that Richardson saw was, okay, I just did a six-week project for six hours of forecast. That's not going to work. So maybe this isn't going to work. I mean, it can't be. And for tomorrow's broadcast, we'll see you next month for the weather. Um, so, he pretty much concludes, okay guys, this, this might, I mean, this is, there's power in this. We can get more accurate than ever before, but I don't know how to do it fast enough. So, he came up with, and this is pretty extreme, but he came up with an idea. And he didn't actually go say, let's do this, but he put it in a book. And he said, basically, the only way I see to do this is if we make what he called the forecast factory. And it was this, if you can imagine, this huge sphere building, like stadium size. And in this sphere, it's hollow, and the, the world, the map of the, a map of the world is painted on the inside. And you put those squares, just like he had, on the map of the world. And each square, behind each square, is a room. And there are lucky mathematicians <laughs> behind each square. And your job is to calculate constantly the weather of your square. But guess what? To do your job, you need to know how the other squares around your geographical area are impacted. That's why they're by each other, um, because I need to know what's happening here and here. Hey, give me your stuff. And they would constantly. And so here's a, a painting <laughs> of this. And so basically, they would have to cost. And he guessed that it would take around 6,000 rooms. Um, that's a lot of McDonald's uh, to be able to do this, to get some kind of forecast fast enough. Now, this seems pretty extreme, and I think he knew that too, but he basically said, I don't know how we can do this until we find a new way to somehow you know, make this faster. Well, actually, as crazy as this seems, this is basically what we are doing now. Uh, we went and got all of Willy Wonka's Oompa Loompas, puts it, no. <laughs> we have supercomputers that literally, they break up the globe into, you could say, squares, or you know, they break it up, and we use data from airplanes, from satellites, from weather balloons, data points constantly coming in that they're constantly calculating and doing what would take weeks, months, years for by hand. They're doing it extremely quick. And that allows us to be able to make extremely accurate predictions, sometimes extremely, um, predictions based on that data. So, being, I mean, this seems pretty extreme from his point of view, but we actually use the same numerical methods that he set up and that he used today to predict the weather. So next time you go outside and you're like, okay, the weather said it was not gonna rain, okay? If you wanna try with a paper or pencil, you can. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just gonna have to lighten up, okay? Thank you.
And now, introducing Roger Billings. tell me we're wearing red tonight. Well, we sure are. <laughs> At least I am. I thought that was what looked good, and I thought that's what we're going to do. So I hear there's a lot of people getting ready for the science fair. I hear we have red. And what the <laughs> what? May I fix your color? I'm ready. <laughs> You're ready? May I? <laughs> More or less ready. You know. That is uh, awesome. Some people have no fast. idea what we go through here. They don't. They should don't. we should we show them the reenactment? Yeah. Let's okay. Do that. Rewind. Reenactment. Coat. Change colors. Now watch. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> quick. 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 <laughs> hurry. 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 <laughs> We're burning daylight. Okay. Okay. Yes. I love that. <laughs> Whoa! The effort of it all. So did you hear Tobias knows poetry? I did, and I also hear that this is the students' favorite poems now. You know what? I have a poem I learned, too. Oh, yeah? How's mm -hmm. it go? You want to hear my poem? Uh -huh. My poem has a moral. A moral, a moral. is a lesson you learn wow. that makes you a better person. Uh-huh. Okay? I call it the smoking poem. This it, maybe it goes like this. Censored, yeah. <laughs> Please. Warning, warning to the parents. Science and math. Okay. <laughs> listen, listen. Oh, Wait okay. for it. Tobacco oh, yeah. is a filthy weed. <laughs> it was the devil that uh -huh. served the seed. <laughs> it stains your fingers and mars your clothes and makes a chimney of your nose. <laughs> that's terrible, isn't it? <clears throat> that I is, have a problem with that's that. That's what my no. good mother taught me. Because I, I, think, I think pipe tobacco smells really good. Okay, is it moving on. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's really good to welcome everyone here tonight, and those are some pretty interesting technologies. This logic stuff, uh, some of us, you know, we go, oh, what is that? And you think about those little logic gates John was showing us. Mm -hmm. Some of you thought, that is really neat. Some of you thought, what the heck? If you take the STEM courses, you're going to understand that. And actually, in STEM 3, you really get into the logic and how it works. And actually, it's all these little teeny logic gates that make our big, powerful computers today. And if you put a million of those in your cell phone, then you've got something that can do some serious work. And the fact we can do that is really amazing. In fact, I think it's awesome. And Tobias told us about forecasting the weather. One of my ambitions, one of my dreams, one of my goals is to build the world's biggest computer. And it's kind of one of those things that if you do it, it's like breaking the speed limit. You've got to really enjoy it because pretty soon someone will pass you up. But I want to make the world's biggest computer. And one of the biggest computer jobs is forecasting the weather. And I have an idea how to do that. And then... I'm actually planning to do that. Watch out. Stay tuned. We'll see. So if I have a little problem called OCD, can I fix it right now? <laughs> I 
really want to fix, I really want, I'm hoping you can fix the color on your jacket. <laughs> <laughs> We're now going to go to a commercial while we do OCD. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> See, those, that's one of the things I'm working on. <laughs> and how to say it politely. Ouch. <laughs> Here's the real me. Oh, I feel better. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Anybody who knows Now, me the moral of the true. story is that when you're criticized, <laughs> be a good sport about it. When they're social. <laughs> okay. That's one of our SEL lessons for today. <laughs> so we need to get back to weather forecasting. Okay. Just for a minute. Go you for know, it. knowing what the weather is going to be is very, very important. And people quite often will go to the newspaper, read the forecast, or they watch it on the news, or some people even listen to it on the radio. So they know, should I take a jacket? Should I, you know? It's important to know the weather ahead. Now, back in my college career, I got a job at a radio station as a disc jockey. That means I played the discs. We had discs back then. And we'd spin the discs and play them, and we'd play commercials, and we were also the announcer. You're listening to KIXX Radio. And that was my radio station, by the way. Did you do that one more time? That's an awesome voice. I, I will a little bit later. <laughs> it's, coming. it's coming. Wait for it. So <clears throat> every half hour, we had to read the weather forecast so that people would know, you know, what's happening. So you're there, and <clears throat> it's now five minutes before the top of the hour. Weatherman calling for, and then you tell them what to expect. The question is, where do you get the weather forecast? I mean, we were a little station. We couldn't really afford a big wire service. We didn't have the internet to look it up. So we had to get the weather forecast somewhere. During the regular week, we would get the daily newspaper. Open it up. Weatherman calling for snow tomorrow. But on the weekends, there was no daily paper. And I started out working on weekends. And so here I am, and I'm supposed to read the news and do the things, and then all of a sudden it was time you know, give the weather forecast. What weather forecast? Well, we had an emergency <laughs> broadcast system, which meant that behind me in the rack, there was a radio that I could turn on and I could hear the other station in town. And I had a good friend that worked over there. His name was Carl. Carl Watkins, in fact, still a good friend. And so when it was almost time for the weather, I'd turn on the radio to KOVO, which was his station. And I knew right when they did the weather, so I'd go turn on. Weatherman calling for, and I'd get the forecast. I'd come back up. <clears throat> the KIXX weatherman is expecting temperatures in the low 30s tomorrow, and then I give them the weather. And I thought, that's pretty good. I mean, KIXX is a, is a bigger station than we are. I mean, they have more power. And uh, so eventually, I came to meet Carl. I heard him on the air. You know, we were competing to get people to listen. Turn to my channel. And it really is a challenge in, in radio to try to get people to listen to you. But one day we met and we were kind of laughing at each other and I said, you want to hear something really funny? Over at my station, when we'd do the weather forecast on the weekends, guess where we'd get the weather forecast? Where? I said, we would listen to you and repeat it. 
And he looked at me like I had done something really bad. What? What? He said, we would listen to you to get the weather. (laughs) And I thought, you know, that's really funny. He says, yeah, one day I tuned in your radio station to get the weather. And I said, the weatherman calling for clear skies today. And he said, I looked outside and it was raining. (laughs) And he says, but yeah, but you're in a different part of town. (laughs) This is fascinating. We get it from them. They get it from us. They get it. Makes you wonder what's really happening out there, doesn't it? So if they have all of this forecasting stuff, Mr. Tobias, and they have these supercomputers to figure it out, why isn't it ever right? It's really fascinating. The weather can change really fast, isn't it? I find it really fascinating. In airplanes, as a private pilot, the weather is extremely important. Did you know that there are large storms called, of course, thunderstorms, that are caused by the air rising very rapidly. The warm air rises, and as it rises, it gets cooler, and as it gets cooler, the water starts to condense, and it comes down as either rain or hell. But these can go up higher than airlines fly. Airline, most airlines fly at about 40,000 feet, and these storms can go up a past 50,000 feet high. And the winds can be so severe in these storms that if an airplane were to fly through a thunderstorm, it could actually damage the plane and break the wings. And so how do we protect ourselves from these storms? Well, thunderstorms are kind of like little round animals, and there can be a whole bunch of them. But in an airliner, they have what they call weather radar. And the radar is sending out radar beams to see what kind of weather is ahead. And if there is a really bad thunderstorm, the airline will fly out around it so that you don't go through it because they can be pretty nasty rascals. Now, in in the little kinds of planes that I grew up in, uh, we didn't have a weather radar, and so we had to make visual observations. We saw a thunderstorm, we'd try and fly around it. But it was very important to be able to check the barometric pressure. The barometric pressure is how heavy the air is. How come the air is changing weight? Is it on a diet? I mean, what's going on here? But it turns out that air has weight. The air is stacked from the ground clear up high into the sky. And it weighs about 14.6 pounds per square foot. It has weight. But when the air is cold, it gets more dense. And so it weighs more. When it's warm, it spreads out. And so the barometric pressure goes up and down. And in an airplane, at least in, in some of the planes I started flying, it's a little different today, but in, even in today's small airplanes, they have an altimeter that tells you how high you are above sea level. And the altimeter figures out how high you are by reading the air pressure, because the higher you go, the thinner the air gets, and so the lower the barometric pressure. So it says, wow, I'm at 4,500 feet. But if the barometric pressure changes, which it does as weather comes and goes, well, then the barometer, I mean, the the altimeter reads differently. And so always, before you take off, you check with ATIS, Airman's Information Radio, 
and find out what the barometric pressure is at your airport, and you put that number in, and then the altimeter reads right. And when you're getting ready to land at another airport, before you land, you tune in the airman's information radio, find out what the barometric pressure is at that airport, and you change it so that you'll be the right height above the airport when you come into the pattern and when you land. Kind of interesting to know that because it could really create problems if you come in at the wrong altitude, couldn't it? So weather is very, very important to a pilot. It's very important to many, many things uh, going on. We're growing einkorn wheat for many of you that want to have this wonderful wheat that is uh, the ancient kind of wheat it's been grown on the earth for 10,000 years, hasn't been genetically modified, and the neat thing is people that have the gluten intolerance seem to eat the einkorn fine. Problem is, it's hard to find einkorn seed. So guess who became a farmer? Go ahead, guess. <laughs> you. <laughs> you looked, you looked. <laughs> anyway, we have our, our little wheat field growing, and uh, you know what? Why don't you text a picture of the wheat field over to Tina, and maybe we can show it. Okay. Okay? It's pretty neat. So the wheat's about this tall. It's coming up pretty good. It's going to be a beautiful crop. And lo and behold, did you get it? Oh, look, I'm locked. Only my face can unlock it. <laughs> the, I used to It'd say, be scary if I my mother loves phone. me, but now I say my phone loves me. Anyway... <laughs> We are at the point where the wheat is just starting to get tall enough to start creating those little grains. And we want the grains to be as big as we can get them so we can make a lot of bread. And we can sell it to a lot of, of our wonderful students and they can make bread too. So you need to fertilize. And when you're fertilizing wheat, the kind of fertilizer that really helps fill out those heads is ammonia or it's nitrogen fertilizer. In in the world in which we live, mm -hmm. we need nitrogen for plants to grow. It's one of the three main fertilizers that are needed. And interestingly, did you know, oh, can you see the fill? Wrong picture. Hmm. Have a new one, much newer. Okay, she'll find it. That's what it was like a month ago. <laughs> I missed that. What? Say <laughs> so again. I'm just going to rewind it. And okay, see what you yeah. Said. You just keep looking because I want to see how tall it's getting. Anyway, <clears throat> if you don't have nitrogen, then plants won't grow well. And you think of all of the forests, all of the fields and things out there, and some of the forests don't ever get fertilized, but they need this nitrogen to be healthy. And so. Here comes the thunderstorms. And I think this is really neat to know that this really works. A thunderstorm comes over and it drops water down. Of course, plants need water. And that's good because thunderstorms are going to water all the plants that they pass over. But they do something else. Thunderstorms have all of this wind going up. They can have updrafts hundreds of feet a second. There's really power per minute. <laughs> and those updrafts cause static electricity and voltage builds up and when the voltage gets too high, a bolt of electricity shoots out of the cloud, we call it lightning. And when lightning goes zapping through the air, we're talking about very, very high amounts of power that come out in these lightning bolts 
And as they go through air, they heat the air, the air expands, and then it crashes back, and we call it thunder, which is neat. The thunder rolls, right? But as the air is heated, molecules in the air, which are oxygen and nitrogen, because those are the two kinds of molecules in air. You don't believe me? Try breathing it. Go ahead, try it. Okay, she just was able to breathe in 20% oxygen, 80% nitrogen. Can you imagine what she'd be like if she breathed straight oxygen? That'd be something. Anyway, <laughs> nitrogen and oxygen do not react. They're, they're inert in, in terms of reacting. But when you get a very high-powered bolt of lightning, it is so hot, they do react. And they form nitric oxide which then reacts with oxygen makes ozone, I mean NO2, nitrogen dioxide, which then reacts with water, makes nitric acid, which then rings down. And that's how we get all of the world fertilized naturally from nitrogen, which is really neat. But for our wheat, did you, did you get the wheat yet? Mm -hmm. Let's see what you got. This yep, There it is. That's it. Can you see that nice hand? That's kind of a handy way to see how tall it is. is but isn't, isn't that pretty? Yes. Yeah, that is the one. That is the hand. I'd like to congratulate Farmer Timothy for donating <laughs> that hand. It's a nice hand. And you notice how he's got his thumb disciplined and out of the picture. <laughs> it's really good. But anyway, look how beautiful and green that is. And so we needed to get some more nitrogen on it so we get a really wonderful crop. And when we went to get the nitrogen on it, uh, last time, we, we put it on three times because the nitrogen is so important. The last time we went and put it on, every time we got ready so the field was drying enough to drive the tractor across the fertilizer, it would rain again. And it'd rain again and rain again, and, and it was getting too late to fertilize it. So we called up the crop duster, and he came, flew over it, and dropped the fertilizer from an airplane, which was really neat. So how... What is the form of Well, see, the, the gravity pulls the fertilizer down from the airplane. <laughs> and what? Excuse me. Time out. Time out. Okay. What? Is it liquid? Is it is, solid? Is, is the fertilizer, fertilizer liquid? Yeah. I know you know the answer. It depends. It depends. <laughs> what did but we in use? this particular case, we use powder. Powder. Mm -hmm. It was powder. <laughs> came down. But you can make it in different forms. Mm. Well, yesterday, we put the last batch of fertilizer on this wheat. Ah. And we were able to get a forecast to know we just had a little window to get it in. And that's why this weather forecasting is so important, because we can plan and time things that are really important for farming. Forecasting is very, very important to airplanes, very important to farming, very important to kids that are going to school, they know got to take an umbrella where the galoshes or just get wet. <laughs> Sometimes it's fun to get wet. Which brings me back uh -huh. to a completely different subject. Oh, yeah? I notice that you are wearing a new piece of jewelry. Oh, I am. Can you tell us about it? I can. It's actually um, something that... It looks like a moth. I can't tell you anymore. <laughs> I mean a butterfly. I meant a butterfly. Let me see. There we go. There we go. Now okay. you can't see. I meant a butterfly. It is a butterfly, actually. All oh, right. Now look what happened. Well, 
Well, she's offline. <laughs> Finally, a little bit of privacy, you know. <clears throat> I downloaded a new app on my phone. It's called ABC. No, it's, it's really good. It's a new app. It's called ABC. It's in the App Store. And it's got these buttons. And ABC, you know what that stands for, don't you? Alien Behavior Controller. And there's a thing here that it says, make her quiet. <laughs> and I've really been wanting to try it out. Uh, are you ready? W would you like to talk for a minute? I'd love to talk for a minute. Okay, now I don't know what this one does. This one says, freeze. <laughs> Should we try it? <laughs> oh, that's good. Unfreeze, good. All right, now tell us, tell us about the butterfly. We really Can you really hear me? <laughs> yes. Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, I can. So the butterfly is, um, it's an old, old, old piece, meaning that it was made um, in the last century. And Are you talking about this piece of jewelry? Yeah. That's what can I'm we thinking. zoom in on this? In fact, I think, oh, there it is. Look if you that. look really, really closely, it um, is one of those vintage pieces. And in every single place where you see those different gems, they were cut specifically for the shape of that butterfly. Boy, it's really pretty. It is. Where did um, it come from? It came from England. Wow. The UK. And um, it was uh, a, a gift which uh, was given to me. And um, the butterfly is very personal to me. I think, um, I think a lot of people like it, maybe because of... Why is it personal to you? I thought everybody got the butterflies. <laughs> everybody gets the butterflies and everybody gets the moon, but it's still the, the moon's still mine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> just like the butterfly. Well, when you, when I... Um, I could tell you a scout camp story, <laughs> but it's not the right time. Okay? <laughs> All right. So tell us, now, now come on guys, be serious. She, she's trying to tell us about why this is important to her. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the butterfly has three major stages, and the first one is the caterpillar, and um, it's interesting as go as I will put me in the story of going through life and. No, you're not saying you're a caterpillar. I sure was. Okay. <laughs> I would like to think I love maybe. Caterpillars. I know. <laughs> they're they're very much in disguise though, because okay. if you see a caterpillar, you. You think, well, that's a caterpillar, but it has the potential of becoming um, a butterfly. And I think that's really, really interesting because as you're a caterpillar, you go through life, you um, crawl on your belly, and all you can see is everything that's close to the ground. And it's like gaining um, knowledge through education. And it comes to a different point. When you keep learning and learning and learning, you think that it's never going to end, or you get stuck just crawling and crawling. And then somehow you have um, the thought or the feeling that um, you have more potential inside of you instead of just becoming or living as a caterpillar. Somehow we know that we have the ability to do something else. And that's actually what our Science Live is all about, is waking us up to the fact that there's more to us than what we see right now, that we have potential that we need to unleash and un uncover. 
So how does a caterpillar really gain the power to be more? Well, it, it's interesting because it comes to a point where it stops growing. And it stops growing in that phase. And then what it does is it goes and it finds a particular tree. And it goes and it hangs itself upside down on that tree. And it wraps itself in this protein. And um, it's fascinating to me how that can even happen. But inside, as it's becoming... Um, this thing, and the thing that's hanging from the tree is called a chrysalis. It is growing and learning and becoming empowered by learning step upon step upon each block of knowledge, just like us as we go through our lives of education and we learn and we learn. And um, on the other side of that, I, I think besides the academic side, which is so important, we also learn um, about life around us about interacting with each other, about what impacts each other, the kindness effect and the meanness effect. And um, I've wondered what it feels like inside of that chrysalis. In fact, I've thought, my goodness, you get up there and you start changing and everything happens. And it reminds me of that roller coaster that um, you know about. It's called Freak Out. You decide that... <laughs> Yeah. It's actually a pendulum ride. <laughs> so the scientists, so for, for a girl, it's a roller coaster because... It feels like it. It does feel like it. And I thought, well, we're in this chrysalis, and all of a sudden we want to change our mind because we don't like the feeling of becoming jelly, and we don't like the feeling of changing, we don't like the feeling of having to go through all this um, unnecessary education, and we like to just back out of it. But at that point, it's impossible to do that. And I thought about that pendulum ride when you get up higher and higher, and all of a sudden you say, uh, I don't want to do this. You don't exactly have the option of Turn it off, out. please. Turn <laughs> <Yeah>. it off. <laughs> and I've, and I've, I've really imagined being a caterpillar and going through that process. And um, She reminds us of a caterpillar? Yeah. I'm going to have to work on that one a minute. Well, we could go back in my life and you can see me, and I have progressed. Oh, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but but when, when the caterpillar is making itself, transforming itself into the butterfly, and it's using every experience and every um, tidbit of knowledge, it is making um, a magnificent art piece. And that art piece is that butterfly, and on those wings are scales, and those scales are designed to catch the light and to have the facet of beauty. And if we take life on as using every single experience, sometimes the tough experiences, right now we're going through an experience that's a little bit uncomfortable because we are inside of our houses, we are closed down, we're clamped down, we have restrictions on us. Social distancing. Yes, social distancing. And we have do's and don'ts and thou shalt nots and all those things. But if we decide to look at it as something that is going to make our wings beautiful, well, we learned this from this experience. And when this was uncomfortable, and yes, I applied myself more to educating myself, um, when the butterfly comes out, it's magnificent. And um, it is a miracle. And I... I get a little emotional because, to me, it is a miracle. And 
so is every single person. So are you. And if you realize that, yes, it was so uncomfortable, but when you come out, you still have to let your wings dry, but you let it dry and you make sure you get them in place before they dry, and then you spread your wings and you fly and you radiate your beauty to inspire every single person around you, then it's worth it. And it's like, well, you can do it too. And let's do it together. Bravo. <laughs> well, I can see why you like the necklace. And yeah. it is beautiful. And uh, the whole story is very beautiful too. You know, caterpillars are little squishy <laughs> critters. Um, and to think that you could put them in a little house mm -hmm. and, and they're there for a long time, almost look like they're dead. But inside the little crawly bug is turning into a magnificent, beautiful creature that can fly. And you just think of that. I mean, he's inside there all by himself and he's making his right wing and he's making his left wing. And you notice when they come out of the chrysalis, the wings aren't full, they're too big. They're all folded up. And they have to unfold them and then have to dry them out and make them stiffen. But when the little caterpillar's in there making his butterfly wings, what if he gets messed up and he makes one like this and one like that? But they yeah. come out almost always perfectly, both of them exactly the same. And it is a miracle. And uh, I'm like uh, Peugeot. I think that this chrysalis stage, when you're in the cocoon, and by the way, I think a cocoon is a chrysalis for a moth. Yeah. But they're they're cousins. <laughs> She's the butterfly, I'm the moth. <laughs> the good moth. Anyway, when you're in the moth. chrysalis, <laughs> it's a lot like when you're going through this intense education stage. And it must be hard inside there. I mean, they've got to really completely reform themselves into this, this new creation. And that's what we do with education. We take whatever we were when we came in, and we gain knowledge, and we gain knowledge, and we learn how. We learn how to do math. We learn how to write. We learn how to communicate, speak. We learn what happened in history so that we will be at an advantage if that ever comes up again. And with every single fragment or piece of knowledge that we acquire, we become more valuable. We become more empowered to do things. And uh, I can see why you, you really like it. It's a beautiful piece. Thank you for sharing it with us. And it reminds me of what I must keep doing. <laughs> because once you get out, you, gotta, you just keep flying. And it, it's, a, it's a good reminder. It is a good reminder, and I, I think of that particular type of butterfly, the monarch. Uh, monarchs are, are pretty popular all around our country, and they, uh, they like milkweeds. It's interesting. They're kind of all hung up on milkweeds. So they lay their eggs, they, the little caterpillars eat milkweeds. That's kind of finicky, you know, <laughs> like those, they don't like the others, but when they come out of their chrysalis as a beautiful orange butterfly, they actually migrate like birds, and monarch butterflies living as far north as up in Canada 
fly clear across the United States, sometimes, not all, but a lot of them, to locations in Mexico where literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them congregate and they just completely cover trees. Think about that. How can a little frail butterfly coming out of a worm, out of a caterpillar, be able to fly clear across the whole United States? And the thing that's really amazing is when those butterflies come out of the cocoon and they go on their trip, they've never been out of Canada before. Some of them are, in, are born in the U.S. and they've never been to Mexico before. They all get a passport and <laughs> off they go. They've never been there, but they start flying south. And they not only find Mexico, but they find the very place that their ancestors came. The very same trees. And they all come together there. And scientists try and figure out, but how do they know? Because it's actually three generations before one comes back to Mexico again. How, how do they know how to find it? How do they know where it is? And it's just one of the really, really amazing miracles of our world. And I think just as amazing is the miracle of what you can do if you will invest the energy and the effort into developing your abilities. And if you do feel that little thing that Peugeot talked about, that little spark or feeling in the back of your mind that there's more to me than this. I'm serious. I may look normal to you, <laughs> but there's more, there's something going on in me. Develop yourselves, invest in yourselves, make the effort. I'll tell you what, learning is hard. We work really hard at Acellus to try and make it more accomplishable, but it's still, learning is still hard work, but it's worth it. And if you really develop your, your brain, it's like an athlete develops their muscles. They work out. Sometimes they're going to run a long marathon. They'll put weights on their ankles while they run so that when they get in the race, they take the weights off and it feels like they're running downhill. Well, when people start to learn, it's really hard because our brains are lazy. But as we start studying and really working and applying ourselves, our brains develop like a muscle. And they start to be able to absorb information and soak it up. And, and all of a sudden, our ability to learn greatly accelerates. And as it accelerates, we can do more and more. And I'm really impressed by that. When students start applying themselves, and it takes a little while, you say, well, I'm, I'm just not very good at learning. Well, work at it. An athlete that hasn't trained and toned is not very good at at running either, but when they train, they can do it, and you can. And I, I just want you to know that if it's hard for you, it's worth it. It's really worth it. And learning to develop your brain and make it work at full power is not only going to help you get the knowledge now, but when you come shooting out of your chrysalis as a graduate and you go into your life mission, your brain's going to be in high speed, high gear. You're going to do great things. And that's the kind of people that we need, people that are empowered to do great things with their life. So some of these things we hear about from Tobias and from Dr. John about 
great people that have gone on before and had these ideas. Like this weather guy, I mean, he had a great invention that would only make sense if someone would invent a computer. That's why they had to invent them, get the weather. But just think, some of these people seem pretty ordinary, but it turns out that what they did changed everybody's lives. And if, if there was anything that I could do, if I could choose what it was, I would make everyone realize the potential and the power that's in them to fly, to fly high and beautiful. And that's why Acellus. That's why education. Every single speck of knowledge that you master is an asset that makes you greater and more empowered to do things. And boy, I, I hope you hear me. And you say, but it's hard. And, and if you say, but I, I can't do it. You know, there was a guy that I didn't quite get to meet, I wish I had of. I met his housekeeper. But he said, if any of you struggle in math, well, then you should know I struggled harder than you did. And that was Albert Einstein. He struggled in math? I mean, look what he did with math and with science. So just because it's hard doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just means you're not doing it yet. And the things that are hard with effort, with persistence, they get easier, and they get easier, and they get easier. And I'll tell you what, most of you that are, are with us today are using Acellus. And Acellus is a way to bring knowledge and learning into you faster than any other way I know. And every day it gets better. We have a wonderful, faithful team figuring out how to make it better. And a lot of you are shooting us in these good ideas on what we're doing wrong and what we can do to improve. And we listen, and we do them. So I just hope you'll take me very, very serious. This may be the most important thing I'll ever say to you. You are worth the investment. You are worth the effort. And you can do it. Try it. Get in and try it. It won't happen overnight. You've got to do it consistently. But if you really work hard for three months, when you look back, you say, you know what? It is easier now. It's easier to concentrate. It's easier to think. It's easier to remember. Then you're on your way. Thank you, Peje. Thank you for Thank sharing you. us that beautiful uh, vision. Uh, you know, all these years I've been doing this, I've been wanting to get just one hand clap, and you got it. <laughs> it was, I it think was we really should give it up impressive. for Roger Billings. It was really impressive. Let's hear it for her. <laughs> Okay, thank you, and everyone, good night. All right, well, thank you all for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.